Good morning, this is Lance Kenmore with the Kenmore team, and I'd like to welcome you to this week's edition of the Tri-Cities Real Estate Update. As always, you can contact myself, Lance Kenmore, anytime direct on my cell phone at 727-8977, or visit us on the web at kenmoreteam.com. Once again, I always like to thank John for hosting and everybody here at the station for working to make this happen. Mr. John McKay, how you doing over there? Doing good, doing good. Well, yeah, I mean, I even earlier this week, um, oh man, was it maybe Thursday? We had some sun. Yes. Like some real sun. Yeah, and like, it got up around 50. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I know all of those days are gifts um, this time of year, but when we have weather like that and days like that, man, it gives us a chance to kind of update some of those exterior real estate shots that we might have had to take uh, during when some of the white stuff was around. Yes. But overall, when the weather is like it has been pretty mild, we tend to have a relatively quick start to the real estate market. And that has been the case for sure. Yes. Well, before we jump into today's topic, we always like to start off with the crazy celebrity real estate story of of the week. Last week, we had the uh, Yellowstone Ranch houses for rent. Yes. Um, Back on the sales side of things, um, the most expensive, um, one of the most expensive um, Palm Springs houses is currently on the market at... $17 $17 million. Mm. So um, there was a, there was an architect that built the house in 1946 named um, Richard Neutra. Uh-huh. And he was kind of in that whole like Franklin Lloyd Wright, mid-century modern type of some of those just amazing architects of that genre. And um, so this was called the Palm Springs Pool Gossip House. So Ooh. it was a famous picture um, of kind of the epitome of poolside gossip, um, mid-century glamour, out by the pool in Palm Springs. Well, that house was listed last October for $25 million. Wow. It didn't sell. Um, <laughs> and so it is back on the market uh-huh. at 16.95. I mean, drastic, drastic. That's price, almost price 10 million. Drop there. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting. The house was originally built. I did not know this history. It was super cool. The house was originally built for Edgar Kaufman, and he was a um, Pittsburgh department store mogul, had a bunch of department stores back in Pittsburgh. And oh. he also um, he also was that same person um, commissioned the famous one of um, Franklin Lloyd Wright's most famous houses is called Falling Water. Mm-hmm. And there's like a, there's basically like a river, like a waterfall that goes like under part of the house. Ooh. And so that same gentleman had done both of these iconic houses. So I thought that I thought that was pretty, pretty crazy. Um, the house now has gone through some remodels. Um, and so the current owners have changed it into a five bedroom house um, and kind of architecturally restored it. So it'll be interesting to see. If nearly an $8 million price drop is enough to get that thing sold. I thought you were going to say, well, they turned it into a bed and breakfast. (laughs) No, no, no. We're back to sales. Now you're going to have to buy this one if you want to stay there. 
Um, more of like a um, local statistic that I found interesting. And as we look around and are amidst um, kind of some surges that we've seen and different reporting on um, on pandemic style stuff, I will call it because this is a real estate show. But mm-hmm. um, when we look at the impact, not only on residential real estate, but commercial real estate, um, some interesting stats came out last week. So. Before the pandemic, we had online sales accounted for about 14 and a quarter of all retail sales. Uh Okay, so during the lockdown of March and April of 2020, we expected that percentage jump to almost 21%. Um, But get this, that percentage has now steadily fallen back to where it had was back to 16% in June. Mm-hmm. Then it was back to um, 15.9% in March of 21. And mm. then down to um, below 15%, 14.9% um, in December. Just recently, new stats coming out in December. So it is now below the level that it was pre-COVID. So... There had been a lot of talk, you know, about commercial retail and and brick and mortar just totally going away. Uh-huh. But maybe hold the phone on the obituaries for those businesses because it appears that a certain amount of people still want to touch, feel, see, yes, and get their hands on a certain amount of products. So, so we are still seeing that, and that's reflected in what we've had is a very positive um, here locally. Um, positive amounts of commercial development going in. I mean, and if you look at a lot of these places right now, they're busy. Yeah, so, and, so, and stuff is getting built and things are going up. And abs- Absolutely. So kind of interesting to see some of those stats that had inflated a long ways cu- coming, coming back down. Well, one of the things that we did last week is we did a massive geeked out show. Um, yes. Well, and we actually ended up with um, two shows. Last yes, Saturday, we did last Saturday. So, uh, McKay, thanks for uh, fixing the our original goof and pushing the right button and having a couple shows on there. Yes. Um, but we talked about all of the stats and all of the crazy real estate stats, appreciation levels at record highs. Um, but one of the things we did that I thought was worth talking about this week that I wanted to delve into deeper is one of the things that we talked about that one of the statistical jumps of note in the financing world was how many more cash transactions we had in the last in the last year. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we also notated how many multiple offers there were driving up the um, sold price over original list prices. And so one of the things that um, came out of that was I was looking at those stats and we were we have just been absolutely crazy busy with showings and offers the last seven days. You know, we get some nice weather again. People are out looking. Um, They hear that interest rates are going up. So our buyer activity is off the charts right now. But one of the things that a lot of our buyers struggle with and that we um, talk about is if there are so many more cash transactions in the market, mm-hmm. how can we compete with those cash transactions? How are we ever going to get a house in that in that situation? And so I went through and kind of made a list of like what offers, let's say with financing, are our buyer's agents winning on? And I talked to the buyer agents and I took some great notes and said, okay, here's some things that we're seeing 
out there in the market that they're doing that's making a difference. If you want to compete with cash or be more like cash, the number one thing that you have to realize, and they talk about the world changing and demand changing and things that change. Well, one mm -hmm. thing that has happened in this market that's changed a lot is, I mean, we could go back and look at radio shows that we did in 2013, 14, 15. And I bet a lot of the times we had, you know, lenders that would be on the show and they would talk about get pre-approved, get pre-approved. Yes. And we always had to beg people to do that. Well, those days, those days are gone. There's, <laughs> there's no more begging them. They either heard the message right here on the Tri-Cities Real Estate Update or they realized that that wasn't good enough. Yeah. And so it's kind of like it's kind of like the pre-approval letter is now what we used to call like the pre-qualification letter where you would mm -hmm. just type in some data and it would say theoretically yes you can. And then we kind of evolved to the pre-approval letter where somebody had actually reviewed that data. But now we are to what we're calling in the business the fully underwritten buyer letter. Ooh. Now, what that means is that that buyer, even pre prior to making an offer, they have collected all of their W-2s and their documentation and their bank accounts and their statements, and they have pre-submitted all of that to the lender. Then the lender has taken all of that data, ran that through their underwriting department, and gotten an approval for that buyer based only upon identification of the property. Um, so that uh, does a couple of things. Number one um, is that sends a message to the seller that you're dealing with a good-to-go buyer. There's no skeletons in the closet. There's no credit report issues that we that we haven't seen. Um, and so it just it it's very powerful message to the seller that this buyer is very serious. So in other words, they're countering cash by basically saying, "Here's my loan." E exactly. And so now. If we're even Steven with that, maybe we can win on price, even though we are still financing. We're way further along in that process. The, the other thing that it does is it allows the process to go a lot faster so that a lot of times why lenders are waiting to collect that information or they're waiting for the inspection, um, lenders will hold back on on submitting for an appraisal because that's going to cue another big charge to the buyer, the appraisal charge. And so in this case, if all of that's already done, as soon as they hear the inspections negotiated, the process will go a lot faster because they'll immediately order the appraisal. So another thing that might be important to sellers is our speed that we can hear back on the appraisal. The second thing that I wrote down that is very, very different. I mean, I got to tell you, when this form came out, um, roughly four years ago and we started using it. We were one of the only firms in town using it. The other agents would get all pissed off at us and <laughs> mad and send us, you know, back the form and say, what even is this form? Why don't you trust my buyer? Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it was just, I mean, it was crazy. Now you almost can't imagine not submitting an offer without, without this form. Mm. So the pendulum has kind of swung the other way and, and it's called the proof of funds. And so now oh. as a buyer, you're not only saying, um, have I been pre-approved for the loan portion, the down payment portion that I have, um, I have that money. And so in the Ooh. past, a lot of times people would only use proof of funds like if it was cash. But now what's happening, since it's such a competitive market, let's say we talked last week that the average sales price is now roughly around 400,000 to make the math easier. Okay. So now let's say you're getting a 20% down loan 
which means on a $400,000 house, you're going to put $80,000 down. And so you go and then finance the 320. So you so when you submit your offer, you show them your fully underwritten approval. And then you also show them a copy of your bank statement, which happens to have $80,000 in it for the down payment. Um. Now, when this, if the seller's reviewing four offers, and let's say they're all using financing, mm-hmm. and they're all putting in a range of 10 to 20% down, but one of those offers included a copy of the bank statement showing they had the 80000 versus the other three that just submitted the contingency. As a seller, McKay, which one of those would give you the warm and fuzzy? The money. <laughs> the, the, the money. I, lo- I love it. I had no idea what you were going to say there, but that is a perfect example. And, and that's very, very common to what we see when we're sitting down with folks. So proof of funds, not only for your closing costs, mm-hmm. but for your down payment and not only in cash transactions, in all transactions where you're making a contribution there. Where this also becomes a big ticket item, and that is what we call the lo- the additional funds in case of low appraisal. Mm. So here's another example of what's happening all the time right now. And that is the fact that, say, we have a house that goes on the market at 300000 We automatically know we've been showing houses in this price range for the last month. We've looked at 60 of them. Almost every time a house comes on the market at 300 we know that it sells for roughly 320 in multiple in multiple offers. You know, or depending upon what the average is that week, we're adjusting that information to counsel our buyers. Yes. Well, let's say that you had planned on doing a 20% down loan program. Um, you you were qualified to do as little as 10, but you decided to put 20 down. So you were going to put down um, you were going to put down your 60 roughly $60,000 on the house. Okay. Um, but that kind of taps you out a little bit and so you make you make your offer at, you know, let's say 300. Um, and it doesn't appraise, it escalates to 320 and you're putting 20% down and you agreed to the escalation, but you didn't adjust your, um, difference in the low appraisal. So it escalated to 320. The appraiser looked at it and said, ha ha guys, nice try. Um, I know it was multiple offers, but I still don't care. I think the house, you know, only comps out at 300. That buyer is looking at that and the and or the seller and they're saying, man, that's going to tap them out on their cash position. They might not. If we get into low appraisal, they might not be able to cover it. Another perspective to look at that, talking with your lender, figuring things out. What if I decide to only go 10% down with my loan program and I conserve my extra $30,000 in cash and I offer that to the seller as a low appraisal coverage option. Oh, so now if it goes to three twenty, and um, I and it only appraises at three hundred, I still have my ten percent down, but I also have access to the twenty thousand dollars extra to cover what was over and above the appraised okay. price. Now, granted, you are in a lower equity position. Uh, That fact is not lost on me. Mm -hmm. But if you've lost out on numerous houses and this is the perfect house for your family and what you're trying to get into, that could be a big option. 
So understanding the low appraisal addendum, extra money to put in to cover that is another thing you can do to level the playing field with these increased cash offers that we're seeing. When we come back from the break, I'm super excited. We got the sunshine. We got our photographers out there. Yes. We have a great pick three after the break. Right here on News Talk 870. Guys, welcome back to the Tri-Cities Real Estate Update. Um, It just is, man, we get a little bit of sunshine. We get the calls. The phone's ringing. Sellers are looking to sell. And Mm -hmm. that excites me greatly because we've been in low inventory. Every time we get a couple of these new listings, especially in the price point this week, I'm super excited. We've got a couple under 400 here. So we know those will be quick movers. Pick number one, though, 4651 Callets in Richland. This is in White Bluffs neighborhood. Great little pocket in there. Three bed, two baths, 1701 square feet. Great room concept. Raised ceilings, granite counters in the kitchen, quality cabinets, full extension drawers. Um, Master suite has a large walk-in closet, custom built-in organization. Really, really awesome property. Covered patio, great for entertaining. And that's coming in in that South Richland price point, $445,000. So great little property there. Pick number two, I'm going to take you out to Benton City, 503 Paver Court. Now, here's another Rambler, um, really well-maintained, three-bed, two-bath home with RV parking on a cul-de-sac, so quiet, lower-traffic cul-de-sac, Yep. 1440 square feet, vaulted ceilings, granite counters throughout, great room layout also in this property, big, fully-fenced backyard. This is coming in at 349809 So just right under 350000 with that property there. And then pick number three, back to Kennewick, 8500 West 1st Avenue, another three-bed, two-bath Hanson Park Rambler, 1640 square feet, split bedroom design, tile flooring throughout, um, throughout the ha- um, hallways, the kitchen, the bathrooms. You've got large, bright living area that opens up to the dining and the kitchen, which also has, this is the theme this week, granite counters here as well. Um, you've got a master bath with dual walk-in closets and a large shower. Um, here, fully fenced backyard also, plus a garden shed. And that's coming in at 395,000. Folks, I got to tell you, it's hard to get into Hanson Park anymore. Yeah. Under 400,000. So great, great opportunity there in our pick three. Um, before the break, we were talking about what are buyers going to do? There's a, there's a, there's a huge push right now to get as many of our buyers under contract as possible before the impending interest rate hikes come. And so a lot of our buyers are like, they're back out there. They're looking. The weather's really good for this time of year. And we're putting these buyers into contract. And here's some of the things we're doing to do that. If you've been pushed out of the market before um, because of the multiple offers and the price points, here's some great tips that we're using to help our clients get into a home. Before the break, we went over a few of the big ones um, that we that we talked about: proof of funds, yep. pre-underwriting with you with your with your pre-approval letters. Another big one that we run into that people do not do enough, um, and I said and I put this down as communicating the buyer's position. 
So many times we see miscommunication happen with with agents in this in this situation. And I, I lumped these together, but they're really two separate. And that's number one, that's communicating the buyer situation. Um and I've had, and I'll just tell you, there was one we lost the, this week for one of our buyers. And it was hard to argue with the fact, though, that um, the seller had a big room where they had uh, some decorations where they had previously been in the Navy. And um, and so you could easily see that walking through the house. Our buyer in this situation was not a veteran. We wrote an amazing offer, but we called the other agent and and we said and we said hey because we were notified that we didn't get it we said hey we didn't get it um what's the what what's the situation we wrote a great offer and so we always want to find out why we didn't so we can mm-hmm. get better for our next buyer and he said man he goes your offer was awesome i don't think there was anything you could do in this situation he goes the buyer that got the house was in the navy also Oh, and so he had seen that when he had walked through with his agent and then he had told his agent, you might let the seller know that I was also Navy. And so, boom, we are, you know, you know, I mean, there I, you I, go. I'm not making a joke about the situation, but dead in the water uh, with the, yeah. with the, in that situation. And, and so uh, but that other agent in that situation did an amazing job of communicating context to the seller. So that was just one of those things in those situations. And you have to be careful about that. There's, you know, there's fair housing laws and stuff, and we can't discriminate or, or add something, a protected class in there that would cause discrimination. But there is context about why a buyer is super qualified, why they might be the right person um, for the seller to choose in that situation and making that communication. That's a big one. The thing that I lumped into this communication category that is another huge one was, and I got to thinking about this when I was at a signing earlier this week, and I put it down for the show, and that is your relationships with the other agents in the market. Mm-hmm. And I was at the title company waiting for some clients, and and I was there for about, I, I got there about 15 minutes early, and I was in the waiting area, and you know, another agent came out and, and I, you know, and it was great because we've had relationships over the years. We've had good deals, but you stop and you talk to that agent, how's things going? How's, you know, what's going on with your business? And we have good rapport with that communication there. And so keeping that up is really, really important Mm -hmm. for your own clients, because that's going to make a big difference when you can just pick up the phone and make a call. And really, I had clients, I had that happen earlier, earlier in the week, clients called me and they're like, Lance, there's this, there's this house, there's this house we want to buy. And we just really don't think things we're getting good information from our, from our current agent. Of course, I'm a little bit of a smart Alec. And so I say, well, why didn't you call me the first time? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But no, joking aside, I just, I just said, okay, well, let's see what we can do. I look up the house. Um, and read through the notes. And I'm like, well, yeah, let me, let me get back to you here in like the next 10 minutes and see. And I just, I've done probably not, not a hundred, but I had done, you know, 20 or so deals with the other agent. I pick up the phone. I call the other agent, you know, in this situation, it turned out that it wasn't just the house that was listed, but it was listed with the lot next door. The, they owned both parcels, mm. but they had listed them separately 
The offer that my clients put in were just for the house, and that kind of left the seller with not selling the lot. Oh. Uh, um, and so even though it was a decent offer on the house, it didn't include the lot next door. And so, you know, the agent just shared with me, hey, Lance, really, like, your offer, you know, the client's previous offer um, was, you know, I'm not going to say it was amazing, but it probably, in a normal instance, would have gotten the job done. But these folks really want to sell the lot also. Oh. Well, whatever happened in the other situation, I have no idea. But by yeah. the time I called my client back and said, here's what the situation is, I can even probably get you a discount if we can figure out how to buy both. Or if you don't want to buy both, maybe I can put a combo deal together with one of my builders so that we can make one offer and then simultaneously we can close on the lot at the same time. And they're like, yes, they, they were blown away. And they're like, I had no idea like that this was even a possibility. Huh. And, and so, and, and quite frankly, myself, if I didn't have a great relationship with that other agent, I might not have gotten all of that information either. And so it's just having those relationships, being able to talk through those situations with yes. the other agents. However, that is not something that just happens overnight. That doesn't happen when you're a brand new agent in the market, especially when we haven't had brokers used to do a great job about getting together at brokers opens and having um, and having a ton of food and barbecues together at, at brokers opens and um, having music and they would talk to each other and have drinks. Well, nowadays, those aren't called brokers opens. Those are called COVID spreading parties. Um, <laughs> and, so, and, so, and so, no, I'm somewhat facetious, but also like that doesn't happen like it used to in yeah. the industry. And so, you know, the newer agents are at a little bit of a disadvantage because of that. And that's different. So lean on that experience and that relationship with who you're working with yes. to make those calls and know what to say in those situations. The other thing that can happen out there is that if your current um, newer agent isn't getting that for you, a lot of times they will partner with a mentor in their office mm -hmm. or their designated broker so they can work with them to help them make those calls and lean on those relationships. It's possible to overcome. You just want to make sure that they are leveraging all avenues that they have available to them to make that happen. The last thing that I'm going to touch on, um, because I could talk about this subject a lot, but it's so popular. Most buyers know about it now, and that is the escalation addendum. We've mm -hmm. talked about that on shows before, and it's more commonplace than it was a year or two ago. The problem is be careful with escalation clauses. The reason I say that is sellers have smartened up to what's going on in those escalation clauses. And if you don't have the evidence of funds with it, to back up the escalation, um, and then there could be a low appraisal. Sellers are smart enough to know now that if they see a crazy escalation number, that a lot of times some buyers are only doing that to win the bid and pull the house off the market, mm. knowing darn well that it might not appraise. And so you have to be careful with the escalation clause now as if as to note, is that the best way to get the house? Um, and that's not always the case with what's going on right now. So just be aware that even that mm -hmm. landscape has now changed to where something that could have been a positive that nobody was doing, now maybe potentially too many people are doing it, and it's become a negative, and the pendulum is going back the other way. 
and there is an alternative strategy to overcome that. Um, but we don't have enough radio airtime to go into <laughs> that strategy. So like always, my third and fourth pages of notes will have to be designated for another show. Buyers, do not be discouraged in this market. There are ways to help you win bids mm -hmm. in multiple offer situations. My team and I are coaching on this daily. We would love an opportunity to win your business and show you what that looks like. If you have any questions about that, go to KenmoreTeam.com, shoot us a message, and we will get you hooked up with one of our experts in that situation. In the meantime, we're going to go back out there, rattle the bushes, find yep. some inventory to sell, and get after it. And we will be right back here next week. Right here on News Talk 870.